As I mentioned, for some it seems it's a trite statement. I'm led of the Lord, and let's be led of the Lord, and let the Spirit lead us, and all that. It's not that it's not biblical. It's just that it becomes a hackneyed expression when the Holy Spirit is not actually guiding the will of man, sometimes the flesh, both. And that's why we don't get results. And we need to get results. We need to see the power of God moving. As I've told you over the years, something I heard a preacher say, old man has asked what the anointing is. And his answer was, I don't know what it is. I just know what it ain't. If you're walking with the Lord, you have a sense of when God is actually present. I mean, God is everywhere present, but I mean, he's really anointing the service. And if you're walking with the Lord long enough, you know when he's not. When Even though you're reciting scripture verses, though they seem just like words. This is what Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees. Search the scriptures for in them that you think you have eternal life, which they are there. But because they were violating the rules and principles set out in those very scriptures, he said, you make the word of God void. It has no effect. And we see that in history, not just in the history of Israel, but we see it in the history of the church. We see it in the local church, where the word of God is taught and spoken and People rehearse it and even memorize it, but the effect of what the Word of God says it would do is just not there. And again, we are in desperate need of getting results, not just speaking words, or for that matter, singing songs. I don't suggest that everybody musically can do what I do. Songs just come to my brain. When I was a new Christian, we would be in the service, and I would be sitting where you are, and I would close my eyes to worship. I could actually see on a graph where the notes were going before they got there. And that's just something that, you know, God gives you. You can't buy it off of Amazon. It's just something you're born with. I could actually see, just like you would see notes on a score. And that was before I read music. So I was able to add a harmony with each note. And you can be only led by the Lord in your gifts, the ones that he's given you. And anything else is a pretense. Now, over the last, I think this is 10 weeks now, I've been sharing with you the overarching theme of encouraging words for discouraging days. Do you realize that so much of this book here, this is the seed, right? And so much of this book here depends on the ground on which it falls, the heart. We're told, you know, to break up the fallow ground and keep our hearts soft and all of that. Because otherwise a message just falls on it and just bounces off the heart. And though we could say, well, we were at church Sunday, Wednesday, Bible studies and prayer meetings and all that, if the heart is hardened, the seed falls on a hard ground and it doesn't grow. And then again, we're back at this. There's no effect. There's a cause, but no effect. We want a cause, preaching and teaching of the word and an effect. So if we're to receive encouraging words for discouraging days, you're going to have to make sure that your heart is prepared for that. Well, today, if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 11, we'll just read a few verses. I shared with you in my email the title, which is the theme of today's message, Growing Your Faith in Christ. Simple title. And the theme is equally simple. But actually growing it may provide a bit of a challenge. Mark chapter 11, verse 21, Jesus has cursed a fig tree. He said that no man eat fruit off of you forever. When they return, the fig tree is all dried up. And once again, the apostles are amazed, as I suppose we are when we read it, that this actually happened. So Jesus, the cause, speaks to the tree, and his words have an effect. In that case, it dried up the tree. We look over here, and Jesus speaks the word, and the sick are healed, and that has an effect. That's the effect we're looking for. Over here, concerning evil in general, that's also what we're looking for, that it would dry up. We understand it won't dry up in our lifetime totally, but we can keep it out of our house and we can keep it out of our lives and hopefully with Christ's help we'll keep it out of our country. But to keep it off totally is not possible because God has told us what will transpire. So in Mark chapter 11, verse 21, and Peter calling to remembrance what Jesus had said, the cause, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away, the effect Jesus answering, saith unto them, right, Peter is speaking, but now he's talking to everybody. Jesus answering, saith unto them, have faith in God. Simple enough. Sounds simple enough. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, 
he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Just those three verses for the introduction of growing your faith in Christ. Now, I could have picked a lot of verses on the subject of faith, because that's the underlying principle of how we're here, why we're here, what we believe, and so on. We believe Christ, we believe the Word of God. But I do want to mention how frequently these verses here have been adulterated in modern pulpits. So I don't want to run with that too long. I just want to say this. An abuse of, in this case, biblical doctrine does not rule out the proper use. That Jesus told us that if we go to prayer, and we're going to see the principles, if we go to prayer believing that we're receiving, we will have them. But in case you don't know what my reference is, He didn't promise us all of this materialistic stuff. We were promised that he would give us all we need in this world. And in my case, in my testimony, it's been more than I thought. Honestly, it's more than I thought. So am I a prosperous man? I believe that I am, yes. Am I a rich man? I'm not. And I'm not believing anybody who tells me, well, that's a sign of lack of faith. I'll say it's an adulteration of the scriptures. That you've adulterated the life of the Spirit, the life of Christ, the life of God, to turn it into temporal things, and in many cases, lust. That being said, we want to look at this topic in its general context, faith in God and growing your faith in God. Now, I was told when I heard this story, I believed it to be a true story, actual story. It doesn't matter if it is or it isn't. But you know, in the world, business world, making tools, it could be anything, making, well, making anything. You have a prototype. And in some cases, let's look at this piece of wood here. This is what we want. It's going to be a yardstick. It's going to be three feet long. But in order to do that, you know, because I say women, typically women I've seen use the yardstick. I know men use it too. Tailors may still use it. You've got to measure accurately when you're making a dress or you're making a coat or a shirt or whatever. 36 inches has got to be 36 inches. Right? Because if it's not, then your sleeve will be up here and you get the picture. Well, there was a factory here in New York State, as the story goes, and they had these people, they hired these people to make these yardsticks. And here was the metal guide, 36 inches, and you put the wood in there and somehow secure it, whether it was clamped on or whatever, sometimes you secure it. And when it was cut, because the metal guide was precisely 36 inches, and with careful cutting, the arse that comes out to be 36 inches, so when somebody buys it and they're doing measurements for the dress, for the coat, for the shirt, for the suit, whatever they're making, they have exact measurements. But one of the employees had this idea that all this clamping and all of this putting it next to the metal guide was a bit of a waste of time. So we cut one that was exact at 36 inches, and then had this idea, why can't we cut the wood from the first piece? Now we did. And he kept doing that all day long. Kept cutting a piece of wood from another piece of wood from another piece of wood. And by the end of the day, he was somewhere in the neighborhood of an inch and a half short on the yardstick. In other words, the guide was there for a reason. That you can't cut wood from wood and be precise. That you have to use something that's a reliable guide. And when it comes to this here, we have to cut our lives off of the book. You can't compare yourself to me because I'm short of the glory of God. Nor can I compare myself to other preachers because they're short of the glory of God. And the more I compare it to other human beings, people, Christian or not, I'm going to still come up short. The guide, the measuring stick is Jesus. Here he is. He's always above us. And when it comes to growing our faith, this is what we use. Now, I know that some of you like to watch Christian television, play the radio all day long, Christian radio. That's not your guide. This is the guide. It's what this says. This is how we know we're going to cut it exact, which in my estimation is not all that easy. The instructions are simple, but they're not all that easy. In any case, let me just suggest to you that, number one, faith in God, faith in Christ that Jesus talks about here can, can be measured, just like a yardstick or similar to a yardstick. We could take out another measuring tool, let's say a tape measure, put it up next to the piece of wood and say, this isn't 36 inches. Measure it again. Use whatever you want. When we look at the Bible, there's a guide that you can use to see where your faith is at. Number one, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Number two, answers to prayer. How many times have I heard? Well, Pastor, I tried that. It didn't work. Why pray? 
Why do something that doesn't work? When we're sick, we don't want medicine that doesn't work. If the doctor said to us, I'm going to give you this, but it doesn't work, and it's expensive to boot, would you fulfill the script? If he tells you directly, this doesn't work, but here, take it. And so why would you want to pray if you don't get answers? And for that matter, and I'll just name it now, love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control, are nine fruit listed, but there's more. If your walk in the Lord is not causing you to become more loving and joyful, if love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, if you're not growing in those areas, now you know where you stand in your relationship to Jesus Christ. Well, I said that I come up short, and we always will, but what I was really referring to now, we know that Jesus is the guide. He's the ultimate measuring tool. We also know that the fruit of God's Spirit brings out, at minimum, these nine things listed. So ask yourself this morning, or rather, take a look at the last three months of your life, the last 12 months of your life, last year. Now, I'm on my 44th year preaching and my 44th year being born again. So I have a lot of ground to look at. Have I grown? Have I changed? But have I changed so that my life is matching up to this book more and more? That's the guide. So, frankly, when I read in Galatians chapter 5, and the fruit of the Spirit is, I still see where I need to grow. Because the cause, the Word of God, here's the cause, comes into my heart. But what areas are in there that are hard, where God says, do this and do this, don't do that, touch this, don't touch that. And where am I? See, this is how I measure myself. And, frankly, I always come up short. But I can look back on my life and see that there's been growth. That's a good sign. So I'm saying to you that your faith can be measured. And I'm going to suggest to you very strongly that we just stop using Bible verses to sound Christian. You should stop using Bible verses because that's the way we speak inside the church, not the building inside the church, you and me, and the millions and tens of millions of Christians around the world, billions perhaps, I don't know. I don't know what the number is. I do know that the guide is not the billions of Christians or millions of Christians. The guide and the measuring stick is right here. And your faith is measurable. So let's look at a few verses with that in mind. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, you may want to turn and look at these few verses. Jesus makes mention of the faith of a Roman centurion who says to Jesus, and Jesus says, I'll come and heal your servant because the Roman soldier, actually he's an officer, he comes on behalf of his servant whom he loves. And he's sick and he hears about Jesus healing the sick. But more than hearing about Jesus healing the sick, he actually believes that when Jesus says, be healed, people are healed. He believes the effect will be there when Jesus speaks. That's why he made this long trip. So he says to Jesus, he says, my servant is sick of the palsy and he's dying and it's a bad situation. And I'm paraphrasing all this. I know that you heal the sick. I know that when you speak, things happen. There's an effect. So Jesus says, all right, let me go with you, and I'll come and I'll heal your servant. Then this is the statement. He says, you don't have to go. You don't have to come home with me. Just speak the word. Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. Do you ever think that there's a few places in the Bible where God is said to be astonished, which being all-knowing raises some intellectual questions, but he marvels. This is not a Jew This is a Roman centurion. This is a Roman officer. He's not supposed to know these things, appreciate these things, detect these things, discern these things. But he did. And he says to his followers, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. So faith there is measured. This centurion has such a great faith. He didn't say, would you please hurry and please be there and please be on this scene. He said, you don't have to make the long trip. Just speak the word, and my servant shall be healed. Where's Jesus now? Well, two or three are gathered there am I in the midst. And then we also see him seated upon the throne in the book of Acts, the right hand of the Father. And when we pray, the question is, do we actually believe that Jesus, all he's got to do is speak the word, as he did in Genesis chapter 1. He speaks the world into existence. And again, I want to mention, so you hear these type of teachings in various camps from various pulpits, and they always translate it somehow into a car, a Rolex watch, the best suits available, what have you. And that's adulteration. It's not adultery, it's adulteration. You've perverted the meaning of it. 
But the abuse does not stop us from a proper use. That when we pray and when Jesus speaks, there's a real effect. Something that you can see or hear, see and hear. I will not say so much about the feeling thing so we don't lend into that. But I'll use it for a moment and feel it and sense it. Because God has spoken. And when God speaks, nobody can stop it. Let me say something here as a parenthetical statement. You say, my life is not this and my life is not that on the negative side of things. It's not going in the right direction, blah, blah. Who controls the blessing or the curse? We think it's the president. So that's why we talk like we do, but it's not. And we think it's these, uh, what do you call it, these uh, diabolical people behind the curtain, the deep state, and it's not. The one who controls everything is way high above us. Is God Almighty. And when he says stop, it stops. And when he says go, it goes. And when he says be blessed, you're blessed. And when he says no blessing, then it's not. And until we come to that appreciation of who God is, we are not going to be able to be satisfied. Listen, no matter what you have materially or you lack materially, if you have growing inside you love and joy, which is a self-evident love, we would need more explanation, I think, than joy and peace. So let's just stick with those two. I always like to stick with those two because they seem to me to be the salient needs of every generation and particularly they are. There's a joy and there's a peace. Because that is given by God. That's the effect of faith in God and living and walking in the Spirit with the Spirit of God. Without that, we don't know where we're walking and with whom we're walking. Because Jesus converts, that's how they turn out. So we have to stop looking all the other places, you know, if it wasn't for my home life and all that. Yes, that affects us all. And guess what? We were raised as children by parents who come up short of the glory of God. And guess what? While your children complain against you, I don't mean the real rough, bad stuff, just the average stuff. Let them know that they were raised by someone who came short of the glory of God. So hopefully they'll tell their children when they start complaining against your children, your grandchildren, that they were raised by people who were sinners. They were not without fault. But never do you go to God and say, I have something to say to you. Because you may hear something you don't want to hear. Great faith from a man now, let me, let me transpose it from a man who wasn't a member of the church. He was an outsider. He wasn't in church services every Sunday. He wasn't in Bible study on Wednesdays. He wasn't part of the worship team. He didn't know songs. He was out there. He didn't know anything except one thing. When Jesus speaks, he gets results. And he said, you know, look, at I have 100 soldiers under me, centurion. I tell one, go. And, you know, Roman law, we've been through that before for soldiers, particularly. Command was a command. And you better obey that command. Well, the centurion certainly knew it. That's how he came up in the ranks, became a centurion. And I say to this man, you go, and to this man, you come, and they do it. And he recognized that authority in Jesus. Now here, look at, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be trite about it. I'm not trying to say this in an offhanded way. I'm very serious about this. Do you see it? Do you see that nothing good is going to happen unless God says, let it be? Let there be light. Let there be whatever. Let it be. And nothing bad is going to stop until we have God will stop it. Yeah, we have responsibility. There are things that we not only can do, but should do. But God alone has that authority and that power. That's why we pray. That's why we did what we did this morning. To have the effect in our lives, to have the effect in our churches, to have the effect in our nation. So that we can see good things. Now, look at verse 26, same chapter, Matthew chapter 8. His own disciples, though whenever I read this verse, I have to say to myself, this is a hard statement, I think, when the boat that they were in actually was sinking. But they wake Jesus up in the middle of a storm. As you know the story, most of you know the story. The boat is being filled with water. It's a rough sea. You've got a couple of fishermen on board. They know the sea. They know the trouble. These are mariners, so they understand how things are and when they're dangerous. And it was a dangerous situation. And they wake Jesus up who's sleeping. They say to him, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? And I want to stop again. And I want to say to you, how often in your life, as a Christian, you know, not before, but since you've been born again, how often have you said to Jesus, but not with so many words, hey, I, you know, I'm really stressed. Don't you care? First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxiety and care upon him because he cares for you. So your question is answered in First Peter 5, 7, if you believe it. That's the message, how to grow your faith. He cares about what goes on in our lives. And it tells you, by the way, to cast it on him. But they ask him, don't you care? 
I would be astonished. I really would. If there's anybody here, whether in this room or watching by television, listening over the radio, who can say, I have no stress in my life. I don't know that that person could possibly exist. Let me tell you something. As a Christian, you will not exist without trials. That's actually in this message. So if I get to it, you're going to find out that this is one of the ways your faith grows. You get challenged. How do you win the heavyweight championship of the world? You start down here, and you get challenged all along the way for every fight that you have until the ultimate fight. And assuming that you win, now you've got the belt, you've got the title, and a little history behind you. You become a part of history. But you don't just get there by saying, hey, I'm the heavyweight champion. It's one trial, one battle at a time. Anyway, Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up, and they say, don't you care that we're dying? And this is what he says in verse 26. And he saith unto them, why are ye fearful? The question's maybe rhetorical, but it's a question. Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? He just, well, you know, right before that, has a man, he says, this is great faith. Says again to a woman who has the same type of faith, her daughter's demon-possessed, woman, great is thy faith. Great faith. Now he says to his own disciples, which are pupils and learners like you and me, he says, oh, ye have little faith. You have so little faith. When you hear the news, do you respond the way everybody else responds? Me, I'm aggravated by the news. I always have been aggravated and irritated, but that's been my whole life. Because as a child, I just picked on the prevarication and the word that I want, I can't use. <laughs> the prevarication and humbug. Look up the word humbug. The humbug. The pretentiousness. Do you respond the same way everybody responds? Or does your faith kick in and say, well, yeah, but God is in charge. God is above all. God is over all. How many times I've told you, I'm going to say this point. My life didn't turn out the way I thought it would. But I can say that all along the way, I tried to make the decisions best I knew how, including this morning in the selection of the songs. I'm singing and praying at the same time and this whole thing. Right or wrong, somebody else can judge. God ultimately will be the judge. But I try to follow the word of God and the leading of the Lord the best that I know. And so in that respect, I don't have regrets. But my life didn't turn out the way I thought it would. But I have no doubt that all this time I've given Jesus 100%. With all the warts and failures and everything else, 100%, and it's never been different. And with God's help, it won't be different in the future. Lots of trials, but 100%. And so when I hear the news, this, that, the other polls, bup, 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 to be polite, I have to listen sometimes, but I'm not really listening because I know that God sets one up. In the book of Daniel, it says he sets one up and he casts down another, which is very difficult for us to put together in America since we vote. Nevertheless, not to go into that discussion on political science and how that all works, God sets one up and he casts the other down by his will. And so when you truly believe that, you listen to be informed or perhaps misinformed, and you say, well, God's still in charge. And it's not just a saying that we use or something that's put on a wall. We actually believe that. And what does that give us? The fruit of the Spirit. We have peace. Now, God is working out his plan in human history right now through all this mess. God and his word is marching on. And that's true. But it won't do you any good if you half believe it, sort of believe it, a little bit believe it. We have to just stop with the nonsense and with the pretense. Let me say it this way. Let us not be as pretentious as the people that we criticize. If you really believe it, it will show. You won't have to wear a sign on your shirt. I believe it. Get a shirt if you want. That's fine. That's not wrong. It's just that when people meet you, they'll know. And I had this said to me one day by a Mormon elder. He actually ran the temple. He liked to talk about end times prophecy and stuff. And I would talk to him. And he was a good acquaintance of mine. I couldn't call him a friend in the proper sense of the word. But he would always tell me how he would meet Christians and how they would bash him and put him down for being a Mormon. And one day he said to me, he says, you know, you're different. And I told him why. I said, well, the way I look at it, if I don't love you, he already listened to my messages on the radio, so there was no need to explain my position. He already knew it on the rapture, all these doctrines that he liked to talk about. He says, you're different. I said, well, I figured that if I can't communicate to you that I'm actually concerned about you, then what good is my Christianity? In any case, he told me I was different. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus and your faith is going to grow, you're going to be different, but in a good way. One that benefits you. Look, if you have love in your heart and joy in your heart and peace, you have peace in your heart, that's the gift right there, right? Does it really matter about your jewelry or your whatever you, know, you got? 
One of these preachers here in America was bragging on the zoo that he owns, that other Christians paid for with money. Well, he promised them whatever he promised them, which never came true, though he says that it did, which is prevarication. It's lying. And then he's bragging about his lions, and literally, his lions and his tigers and his bears. He's got an actual zoo. That's to prove this verse that I just used, right? That whatever you ask for in prayer, you're going to receive. Who in the world wants a lion and a tiger and a zoo at your house? When you can go visit one, the closest one that I know of, well, there's a few here too. Biggest one, nearest is in the Bronx. Go to San Diego. It's an adulteration of what faith means. But if you're at peace, the peace of God that surpasses understanding, what well, does it matter much what goes on around you? And further, when people ask you about your God, your life speaks to it even before you open your mouth. All of this comes from true faith, great faith, little faith. Mark 4, 40, one verse, don't turn there. And he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it they have no faith in God? So we see that faith can be measured. Now, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, and I want to read the verses I just quoted for you. While you're turning to Galatians chapter 5, I want to quote for you Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. There's three things. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So some say of us, a life of faith the doctrine of faith, by faith alone that we're saved and so forth, is an excuse to go out and now break the commands of God, the moral law and so forth. But the scripture says, no, no. That's how we establish it. As God pours his spirit into us, first it's given to us as a gift, then it becomes a part of our life. We speak righteously. We think righteously. We cast out the thoughts that are evil, that are wrong. As we compare it to the guide, as we compare it to the prototype, And we realized, get that thought out of the head. And that word just came out of my mouth. How many of you can relate? That word came out of my mouth before you try to grab it. It's already gone. It's too late. So you say, okay, I've got to be more careful. Set a watch over my mouth, the psalmist said. Set a guard over my mouth and keep the guard there and say, that word doesn't come out. Get back inside. And then just disintegrate. The fruit of the Spirit, this is Ephesians 5, 9. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now, Galatians 5, 22 and 3, and then I want to read verse 24. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now, if you heard it, you just heard me quote it, but I want you to look at it. This is how you measure your faith. You're growing in love. You're growing in joy. You're growing in peace. You're becoming long-suffering, and I love that word, as opposed to being patient. Just be patient. I'm not really sure what that means, but I know what it's like to suffer a long time, especially with people, and more specifically with people. Long-suffering, which is patience. And gentleness. You can have a man. I remember watching the men who moved my family many years ago, of course. And we lived on the fifth floor back in the days when there were no elevators in buildings. Can you imagine living in a building on the fifth floor with no elevator? Had to walk up the stairs. I mean, you talk about draconian measures. And I remember how amazed I was watching this man with a washing machine strapped to his back. Which I realize now at my age that it's not all that heavy. But it looked real heavy. And he strapped it to his back, and he was literally walking up the stairs all the way to the fifth floor. Never took a break. And I was amazed. And let's say that same man was a fighter. And he put him in the ring, and now he could be brutal with that strength. But here he takes this washing machine, or or a piano, if you will, and just gently lies it down. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit can be to the point, like Jesus in the garden, where he says, I am he, and they all fall backward. Or the various power we see of God throughout the ages in biblical history and other history. But at the same time, the same power at your discretion, our discretion, God's discretion can be just gently set down. This is the fruit of the Spirit. That's what gentleness is. Goodness is self-evident. Faith, you would think it's self-evident. But let me say this to you in very plain language. If you're walking about in the valley of the shadow of death, shaking and trembling, biting your nails right down as far as you can get them, obviously you believe you're in danger and that Jesus isn't with you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But is there evil in that valley? Of course. But not for you and not for me. Because he's with us. That is, if you believe it. And when you do, this is very easy to understand. 
When you actually believe it, it shows in the way you speak, the way you act. And when you don't, it shows. So you can say, oh, I know the Lord. But look at you. Look at what you just said five minutes earlier before when you were not conscious that someone was listening. Your speech is actually telling you out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth is speaking what you really believe. So have you ever, I know you've heard the expression. I uh, don't recall if it's been said to me. I guess it has. And someone will say, listen to yourself. Do you realize what you're saying? We should step back before we listen to everybody else this afternoon and step back a little bit and listen to yourself. Be sensitive enough and diligent and vigilant, diligent and vigilant, and listen to what you just said. And then you have to be cognizant of how does that match up with this. And when it doesn't, then you align your mind with what this says. And when you do, then you start to grow in faith. And you start to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in these areas, and there's others. And people see it. Body language. I assume that some of you are not aware of it. I can tell what you think by the way you sit. That's right. Read a book on it. Came natural for me growing up. But I've also read up on the subject as well. Everything tells a story. The eyes, right? The karate kid. Eyes, Danielson, eyes. I can tell by the way you're looking. You're scared to death. When I have somebody look me straight in the eye and say, let me tell you something, pal. I know he means business, or she. The eyes tell a story. The body, the way it sits off subject here a little bit. I'm off point, but I'm on subject of body language. Here's a guy I'm going to speak at a dinner. And they all sat in chairs and they put me in the middle of the circle. That was how they were going to do it. No problem. This man, as soon as I began to start, he puts his legs out and he folds his arm and he closes his eyes. And you have no idea how tempted I was to kick him. And that's my flesh, right? Because I'm going to talk about my testimony and what God has done in my life at that meeting. And I want to just kick him and say, listen, man, if you don't want to hear what I've got to say, then just go. I mean, you have no idea. I know I'm off subject. How many things to a speaker is rude, right? Okay. All I wanted to say is that body language tells a story. Eyes tell a story. Everything about this is telling us what we actually believe, what we really believe. Because the effect on our lives from true faith produces the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to this one here. 1 John 3, And this is, along with other verses like it, a great challenge to me in my life. And whatsoever we ask... We receive of him. Now, Jesus just said that in Mark 11. 1 John 3, 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You are aware that if you please God, you won't always please people. With that established, John here writes, well, the Holy Spirit writes through John. He says, you know, whatever we ask God, we've talked about, I've talked much about the story of George Mueller, 60,000 answers to prayer. With, what was it, 50,000 of them answered in the same day? No dependence on man whatsoever, none. Well, we know what George Mueller believed. He got results. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, here is a little clue, a little hint. Why faith doesn't grow? You say, but I pray. And I quote the scriptures. But what are you doing that is displeasing to God, that is making him back off? I'll give you one. One verse that husbands should know is don't be bitter at your wives. Now, why is that even in there? Is there possibly a temptation that husbands can grow bitter at their wives? And he says, because your prayers will be hindered. So you're praying, 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 quoting scriptures. You impress me the way you speak, bop, 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 bop. And all the scriptures quote, I said, wow, I'm impressed. But by being bitter at your wife, God says, until you get that straightened out, because I've told you not to do it. Things are written in the Bible for a reason. How you're supposed to treat authority and so on. But if we keep his commandments and do what's pleasing in his sight, then we're in alignment with God. So that this promise here, this statement, will be true in our lives. And people will see it. I guess most importantly, we will see it. Then nobody has to say, you ought to be out winning souls. Because I would say that to you and you say, I do that all day long everywhere I go. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from my fears in Psalm 34, 4. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry in Psalm 34, 15. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles, Psalm 34, 17. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me in Psalm 50, 15. But verily God hath heard me, and he hath attended to the voice of my prayer in Psalm 66, 19. 
The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. In Psalm 145, 18, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. In Psalm 145, 19, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. In Proverbs 15, 29. This is one of my favorites too. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. In Jeremiah 33, 3. Also known as God's telephone number. I told you this story when I was in Brooklyn years ago. Went to go see somebody. Asked, I guess you could call him a bellhop. So-and-so staying in this hotel. This is in Brooklyn. And he says, yeah, just use the phone over here and dial tree, tree, tree. I remember because it was tree, tree, and tree. Tree, tree, tree. Like in some places in New York, they don't say toilet, they say turlet. And at least in Yonkers, we didn't say radiator, it's radiator. Tree, tree, tree. Well, that's easy to remember. Jeremiah, tree, tree, tree. Call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things you don't have a clue about. You don't have no idea. Huh. These promises are like you can spend a whole lifetime just wondering what else God wants to do in our lives. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive in Matthew 21, 22. We read Mark eleven twenty four, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Luke eleven nine, Verse 10, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Then Jesus gives an example. This is still Luke chapter 11. That's verse 10. Verse 11 and 12 and 13. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask for a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? And then the other parallel version says good things to them that ask him. These are all being held out before us. But it's all predicated upon one basic condition. There's others. We've read them. read at least one. Do you believe that I can do this? Remember Jesus said that? Do you believe that I can do this? And what did the man say? The ruler of the synagogue. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. See, he measured himself. He knew where he was. That he did have a faith in God and Christ. But there was still a large part where there was a lot of doubt. And what we want to do is work on the doubt. What do bodybuilders do? Well, at least the champions they work on not a muscle, they work on every muscle. You know, if you go into a gym, you go always tell the guy that only bench presses. You know, he's a really big chest, he's got all kinds of problems in his back because the muscles are tightening up in the front and they're pulling on the back, and he's out of proportion, and rarely, at least from what I've observed in 56 years of working out, do men want to touch their legs. So they get in shorts and a bathing suit, and they got this massive chest and whatever else they may do to get their arms big, and then they got these little strings hanging out of their shorts. <laughs> You put your body out of balance, by the way. Whatever you do in the front, you do in the back. And you have to keep the body in balance. And you work on everything. And so when we have doubt in our life, we don't just let it slide. We work on that. Otherwise, we're not growing. So we're here with so much faith. Or you're there with so much faith. Or here, wherever you are. You're going to work on this part here. So you grow your faith. Because we are made and ordained to grow in faith. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, which means fitting, as it is fitting because that your faith groweth exceedingly. We're telling everybody we meet about the church at Thessalonica how your faith is growing by leaps and bounds. Now here you have a group of Christians, not just one. And I truly pray, as I do literally pray on this, that that would be said of time for truth. Not of Pastor Ray, of everybody. That somebody somewhere, maybe God alone, will brag on this and say, there's one of my people that are actually growing exceedingly in their faith. All right, how do you grow your faith? Well, let's start with the basics. You have to read the Bible. Oh, Pastor, I wish I had time. You could take that line someplace else. Because we all have 24 hours in a day. If you presume that you sleep eight of them, not everybody does, some more, some less. But we use eight as the measuring stick again. We take off, you've got 16 hours in a day. We have more leisure time now than any generation in history. You say, I don't read well. Get an audio book. I don't like audio books. Then read. Read the Word of God. Preaching. Why is coming to services important? I always think things are obvious to others that are not. Because one of the gifts given by God, the Spirit of God, is the gift of teaching and the pastorate. I've told you over the years, 
you can measure, I guess, God's thoughts towards you by looking at me, because I'm your pastor, and this is what God thinks of you. Now, don't answer me how you feel about it. Some who didn't like the gift are already gone. Goodbye. I'm not chasing people. Early in my ministry, I did that. Namas, you go, you go. You come, you come. I want people to come. I'm praying that people will come. I'm praying that people will get saved. I'm praying backsliders will come. I'm praying for people. But if they make a decision that they don't like the gift, they want to get another gift, go get another gift. It's as simple as that. I won't be offended. But anyway, you can judge. This is it. (laughs) That's what God thinks of you. Romans 10, 14, 15, 16, 17, 1, you'll recognize how then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? See, that's what I was called to do. And how shall they preach except they be sent? And that's God's job. There's a lot of people in pulpits like this who were never sent. They just went. We read that in Jeremiah as well. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Just quickly, if this was literal, then this would not refer to me because my feet are not pretty. I ran one foot over with a lawnmower. I broke another toe over here and 30 years of running and other abuse. So it's not literal. It's a metaphor. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. 1017, book of Romans. Hearing the word of God builds your faith. If you're going to listen to something all day long, this is just a suggestion. Instead of listening to every single preacher that comes on, which is very likely to gender confusion, put on the Bible all day long. I have a playlist on my iPod I have in my car. It'll go from music to boop, all of a sudden there's Deuteronomy chapter 28, you know, and Alexander Scorby is there. And what an age that we live in, that you can hear the word of God. Any time of day. You go to YouTube, they have Scorby on there. They have some others who have taken the task of reading through the Bible from front to back. And you could play that. There's so many ways to build your faith by listening to the Word of God, if you will do it. Another way to build up faith is through prayer, by praying. Praying is not an accessory, it's not an option. We read in Mark 11:24 earlier, and I want to give it to you now, the way it stands in the language, in the Greek Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you're praying, ing in English, you know, is present tense. I am attending service. You won't be doing that an hour from now. I am running. I ran. Past tense. I'm going to run. Future tense. I'm running, walking, sitting, ing. This is how it's stated in the text. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you're praying, believing that you are receiving them, You shall have it. Now we have a qualification on that. All these are present tense verbs. Praying, believing, and receiving are all in the present tense. It's happening now. As we're praying, we are believing that we are receiving. Oh, you walk away and you say, it didn't work. And you keep on praying. And you keep on believing. And you keep on praying. And you keep on believing until you get an answer. That's how it works. Equal yoke. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Now speaking about those who know Christ and those that don't, we're in the world. That's not what this is referring to. This is difficult, especially with time having run out. When we're in a position where we know we shouldn't be in that relationship. Can I say this? And You can write me a nasty email later when you get home. But women have this side to them, too, that they're going to marry this man. He's not what he should be, but he'll change in time. That's called conversion. Now, I'm not saying you, sister, you have it, you have it, but some women have it. I say, hey, you know, this is not a good choice, I don't think. Oh, he'll change. Well, change, yes, someone's going to change, and it's going to be you. Because it's going to take away your faith, and they're going to suck you of energy. One day you're going to just give up, and all of a sudden they converted you. Hmm? We're not told by God to disregard that yoke. We're told to not be involved in it. But here's something else I want to mention quickly. Beware of an unequal yoke with a professing Christian. Beware of those who say, hi, I'm a Christian. If you're naive enough to believe that. Now, I don't say immediately say, no, you're not. That's not good. You know the statement, trust but verify? Well, I don't know about the trust part. I just know I acknowledge what you just said. And we'll see in time if this is a yoke that I should be in. Because I'll tell you the truth, 
long before you'll recognize marrying a serial killer who you're going to convert is the subtleties of, hi, I'm a Christian. Here's a woman, who's a friend of mine, having some difficulties with her husband at the time, fell prey to a man who had a Bible. Hi, I'm a Christian. Picks her up in the dating sense. Before you know it, they're in a hotel room. And I wrote to her, and I said to her, you're committing adultery. She was defending him, the guy with the Bible. I said, if he actually believed the Bible, he wouldn't be with you. You see, because we're told not to be simple means naive. We're told to not be naive people. Thankfully, she acknowledged it, and she went back to her husband. And I've had this happen how many times? We don't have a four-year anymore, but out in the four-year, someone's out in the four-year contradicting Pastor Ray's message. Well, you know, yeah, he's a good guy, but uh, he doesn't know what I know. <laughs> if you knew what I know, you'd be in this pulpit and not me. Or the guy who's in my office telling me, and this happened to me on more than one occasion in the years of ministry, I'm as smart as you, I'm as anointed as you, I know what you know. I said, really? Then go get a church, and go get a pulpit, and come back to me in a few years and tell me how easy the pastor it is. I don't want to use the word stupid, but that's just stupid. Beware of the unequal yoke. And when you're in a time of testing, and you will be, and you probably are right now, right? Don't think it's something strange. James 1, verse 3, knowing this, the trying of your faith works patience or long-suffering. Now you start to be able to endure more. And once you're able to endure more and more, you can go longer and longer and longer because your spiritual muscles are getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Are you, I don't think that you are. Are you one of those type of people that come December the 31st? You say, oh, I'm going to lose 100 pounds and go into a bodybuilding contest and win the strength contest and break a world record. And by January the 7th, you're already eating donuts and stuffing you know, on cake. I thought you were going to lose weight. Wow, well, you got to cheat once in a while. I had a bag of potato chips. I'm telling you the truth. I really don't eat much junk food, never did, but this bag of potato chips was this big. And it came with a veggie wrap. Everything in there was so healthy. And I was a little bit hungry, and I said, should I, should I, should I? And, you know, I even scanned it into my app. Later on, when I'm checking all the figures, it threw me, it had 90 grams of fat. Those potato chips were so small, you had to see with a microscope. <laughs> and as you learn how to, you know, like build physical muscle, it's the same principle in the spirit. It comes by getting tested, putting a little bit more on the bar, and you're moving like this, but you're moving it. A couple of six months from now, that's no problem. See, that's how we grow. But you don't grow without being tested. And when you're tested, listen to this. I'll finish with this. 1 Peter 4, 12, 13, and 14. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. What God is saying here is that everybody who has real faith is tested. Verse 13, 1 Peter 4. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. That's the finish line. That's what we're aiming for, the finish line, to finish with a good report. I mean, a good report from God. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Let me go back. You know the turn there, but there's something else Jesus said. He says, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Because that means there's nothing about your life that contradicts the life of someone who's in the darkness. But when people say, oh, you know, it's actually a good sign. It's not pleasant, but it's a good sign. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. As we go to prayer, there's just two things that I want to say to you. I want you to review it there in Galatians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. And then you can read through, if you were taking notes, some of the scriptures that I gave you about answers to prayer. Two things. How do you know if you're growing? First of all, never compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself only to yourself and to Christ. That's it. You do that by seeing in your life, if you're growing in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, and you measure it. Now, if you can see, yeah, I'm more at peace and joyful and so on, more patient, well, you're growing. That's a good sign. But if nothing's there, not a good sign. Then answers to prayer. I didn't have time to actually go through all of the principles of prayer, but you can do your own research and read up on them. There's many good books out there. Read Finney, Principles of Prayer, Principles of Faith, and you'll see that there's impediments to answered prayer, beginning with unbelief. 
That's just words. But you're not really believing that this is going to happen. We have a lot to be grateful for. We have a lot to be thankful for. But we want to be growing in faith and be part of and witness a third great awakening in America as people come to Christ, seeing people healed. And not just the drama, you know, where the organ player who we don't have, bop, 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 you know, playing and people are running around the stage. But actually valid reports from doctors are saying your condition has just changed. I can't explain it. And more so the change of thinking, the change that comes in the interior man, in the inside. Let's just pray that we would all grow in faith. Father, we bless you for this time that we had together. Again, I think it was apparent that you did honor our prayer and did visit us and you did touch us. Now we ask again, as we sang earlier, to fill us. You're breaking us, God, and you're melting us. But it's only so you can refashion and mold us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, then use us. Help us, God, to see these things and to truly grow in faith. Earlier, God, we gave you all the praise and all the glory. And now we give you all the praise and all the glory. And an hour from now, and two days from now, and a year from now, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. For every good thing comes from you. And you never change. You're always the same. I pray for my friends that are here, those that are watching by television, those that are listening on the radio, that they too would grow in faith. That they would know how to measure themselves and not compare themselves to others. Only to Christ, and we always come up short, and we compare ourselves mainly to the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and our ability to actually have prayers get answered and see the effect. Oh God, we bless you and praise you and thank you, God, for you are truly great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. So what time do you start praising the Lord? His name is to be glorified all day long. You start when you get up. And you don't finish until you're unconscious asleep. And then you start again when you get up. And you finish when you go to bed. And there you go. So, Father, once again, we thank you and bless you. I reiterate and trust that you are actually moving upon America, not depending on what we see or hear with our ears, but rather what your word says and what we believe. Pour out your spirit. Help my brothers and sisters here, my friends, to have a good day today in the Lord. This is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it i got to throw something in. I'm sorry, because I think it's important. We're watching it get darker earlier. Just remember, who makes it get darker earlier? Be careful that your complaint is not actually against God, because it's unconscious. What we don't like, God created it to be that way. Called my friends to have this day to be a great day in the Lord, with darkness or light or rain or sunshine. I pray all this, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.